Hello everyone, Nicholas Crody here, Arcanex Features Editor. The interview you're about to hear was recorded live as part of Arcanex podcasting event series, Next Up, held at the Neutra VDL House in Silver Lake on March 4th. We've hosted Next Ups before at Giant Jai Gallery, at the Chicago Architecture Biennial, and at the A&D Museum. This time around, we focused on potential roles for architecture in the contemporary neoliberal economy, with a special focus on issues pertaining to gender and identity. In a sense, what we wanted to look at is how architecture is itself designed, and, specifically, how we can redesign the systems in which it is embedded. In what ways are people challenging these systems from within? How can we find loopholes in the current economic framework to create a more equitable world? How can we design support systems for those most affected by an unjust political economy? So we invited a slew of architects and activists to talk about their work. For the event, Arconnect partnered with my experimental architecture studio, Adjustments Agency. The other voice you'll be hearing is Joanna Kloppenberg, who co-founded the studio with me. We've also shifted up the format a bit, with talks happening in one room while interviews were being conducted at the same time in another. We hope you enjoy this interview from Next Up, Floating Worlds. We're here with Support FM, support.fm, which is a secure online platform where friends, families, and allies can raise and distribute bail and bond money for trans and gender non-conforming people. Just to begin, why is this necessary? I mean, Support.fm is necessary because we have an unjust bail system that keeps people in prison and detention for up to years at a time before ever seeing trial. The specificity with which you want to look at that question, I could talk about it from a number of levels, from the sort of like structural and ideological down to the minute. The beginning would be that it's necessary because... The American prison system is like a deeply unjust, profit-based infrastructure that keeps millions of people spending their lives inside of what are virtually cages and carries uh, forward systems like chattel slavery and colonialism. And it's something that I think many people are committed to abolishing in their lifetimes and that getting people out of jail and detention via uh, raising bail is a small form of harm reduction that adds to sort of like a, it, that's an, an immediate way of getting people out of these really violent spaces, which are jails, prisons and detentions. You know, if you believe in the law, which I don't necessarily believe in, even so, if you believe in the law and you believe in the fiction of innocent until proven guilty, it's possible to understand the cash bail system as a, a form of injustice, which has sort of warped our understanding of how the jail and prison system works, because people who have yet to face trial and yet to be found guilty are spending years at a time detained in really difficult and violent conditions. So whatever you believe, whether you believe in the prison system or not, there's a way to understand this intervention of raising money to bail people out as an important one. And maybe Blaine can speak more about why that has particular relevance for trans and gender nonconforming communities. Yeah, I mean, I think it's necessary because this work is already being done. And the way we structured this project is we're teaming up with other partner organizations that are already struggling to meet bill for trans and GNC people. And so we see ourselves as sort of like particularly vantage to create this sort of like more centralized platform to both publicize the pre-existing efforts of all these groups and the amazing work they're doing bailing people out and also to generate new bail funds and new projects like this where like people are getting bailed out. And then 
lastly, I think just in a really immediate sense, existing crowdfunding platforms, whether that's YouCaring, GoFundMe, Kickstarter, CrowdRise, most of them have rules against using their services to raise money for bail and bond. So even as people are using the crowdfunding economy to raise money for more and more things, funds for bail, bond, commissary legal fees are often not a part of that. So in a really immediate sense, there just needs to be a secure, safe crowdfunding platform where people can raise money for bail and bond because it's not currently possible. Yeah, and we'd love to talk a bit about the structure of the platform and how it works. Um, maybe just in kind of simple terms for the sort of tech illiterate of us, um, you could explain how the, the platform is structured, how it works. Um, I know it's run off of a blockchain. Um, can you tell us why? Yeah, so we're still in this sort of critical moment where we're sort of like weighing the pros and cons of using cryptocurrency. And I kind of alluded to this in the talk earlier, but we are sort of like, there's two questions that we're trying to like answer. One is how do we provide a secure platform where we anonymize the transactions that we're facilitating? The reason why we want to do that is because we want to create a zero-knowledge system where in the case of an external party, like whether it be the state or other actors, getting access to our information, we're creating all of this infrastructure for the benefit and success of the organizations. And so we're doing everything we can not to jeopardize their safety and their privacy. So that's one question is how do we build this secure and an anonymous channel for redistributing wealth? The other question is how do we sort of like centralize, monitor and analyze both like not just capital that we're moving, but like the stories and the successes that we're trying to facilitate. Like how do we like record our activities in a matrix of success that we can use to both inspire other organizations to start bail funds and also to inspire our donors to continue to be supportive and involved and stakeholders in this project. So the decision to whether or not to use cryptocurrency has a lot to do with that because we're still trying to figure out the best way to create an anonymized transaction service without totally obscuring the work that we're actually trying to facilitate. And so there are a couple of ways that we've thought about recording the work that we do, leaving it up to the organizations to self-report successes and funds raised, or just completely removing financial like numbers out of the equation. So like we we could set visual or like we could set like targets that would be dislocated from actual like numbers that would translate to currency in order to like still sort of like visualize and design these sort of like wins in terms of campaigns and the bail money that people need. What would you say is the kind of spatial aspect or this like the morphology, if you will, of incarceration and the need to create emergency funding to help people, particularly trans and gender nonconforming people who are incarcerated and detained? I mean, I, I think that's like a, a really, really important question. And there's so much work and research and critical thought that's been done around the carceral landscape and the geography of the carceral system, which is basically like ever present and all around us. There are so many ways in which we can like spatially material look at the prison industrial complex, whether that's in, you know, the city of Los Angeles, where adjacent to City Hall practically is Twin Towers, which is the, you know, men's central jail, which also has a floor for trans and GNC people, you know, any night in which there's 300 or so people being detained. And then additionally, the way in which, you know, increasingly 
former agricultural land is being repurposed as like sites of the prison industrial complex and is sold to rural and formerly agricultural communities with the understanding that it will be good for the economy. It feels arbitrary to focus on even specific aspects of the landscape and the geography of the prison industrial complex because it's completely constant and all around us and people's awareness of it is just dependent on, you know, class and race-based proximity to it and the ways in which for some people it's obviously like mediating factor of life from day one and for some people it's out of sight, out of mind. But I do think that for the purposes of support of them, it's really important to think about the way that the state has a monopoly around architecture and design and technology when it comes to the prison industrial complex. I'm just going to say one quick thing, which is that the prison system is highly technologized. The infrastructure is very digital. Increasingly, maximum security prisons are run digitally. But then on the other end of it, people who are being harmed by the prison system are forced to do these seemingly very outdated actions like show up in person, wait for hours and pay bail in cash, even though the prison system obviously has the technology to make this a much more efficient system. So efficiency is also a place where we see like violence being enacted, like who gets to make things simplified and easier to manage, and then who bears the brunt of what I would call sort of like bureaucratic violence. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting thinking about if you think about this crisis of incarceration spatially, not only is it state-sanctioned violence, but it's a marketized violence because of the private and public partnerships that we've seen in the United States with all these prisons and detention centers. And I think what we're doing is we're trying to build a platform that sort of like supersedes the limits of like state and maybe not market, but supersedes like the boundaries of like the state and the way that the state views people and communities. And it's an interesting discussion that this project has opened up for us because we're realizing that like the prison crisis doesn't stop at the limits of like the United States of America or this continent. Like it's a, it's a, it's a transnational issue, like so many issues we're fighting and facing. And I think one of the reasons why we're choosing to build this platform that we're starting it in the United States, but we've already been talking with people in other countries about the potential for its use. I don't know. I think it's a way to hopefully disrupt just the tyranny of like state sanctioned incarcerative violence. Just thinking about like the range of these different like forms of power that like where, where we're just locking people up based on where they happen to be. I'd like to circle back to something you were saying, which is that the visibility of the prison industrial complex is so it's so tethered to class and race. For some people, it's it's literally an invisible landscape. For other people, it's it is the most visible landscape. And it seems like that's kind of in a way so such a central issue for your platform because you're trying to redistribute wealth. So you need to make visible what is in order to get you know to get wealth from. I mean, you're crowdfunding, but you're also trying to get money from wealthy people in order, right? I imagine. So is that something that's like a central? concern how do you make visible this this system for people who aren't necessarily familiar with this discourse for example a lot of i think um the listeners probably are not so familiar with this this conversation this reality i think um something that we were talking about in the car ride over here today just in sort of trying to prepare to talk about support of them in the context of a discussion that's sort of like broadly around architecture and design is that you know it can be really difficult in the sort of like built environment in the material world to design or construct 
buildings, cities, transportation, that counteracts a lot of the sort of like repercussions of capitalism and neoliberalism. It's just, it's, you know, who has a monopoly on the construction of the built environment? It's the state and it's the corporate sector. And as an architect, it's really difficult to build things unless you have the financial backing and the investment either of speculative corporate development or the state. And oftentimes even what is understood as just or equitable design, whether that's public housing, transportation, that's still mediated by the state and the state's idea of what that looks like. And we live in a capitalist state. We live in a neoliberal state. So even attempts to create you know, a more equal landscape are always going to be through a really, really particular lens. What's really interesting about building digital infrastructure is that it just takes a different level of investment. Like as Blaine was talking about, platforms are supposedly lean. Like they don't, you know, you have to build them. You have to pay like small fees in order to use different like types of software, but it's completely different than building infrastructure. Like the cost of building real material infrastructure in the built environment are just astronomical. And it's extraordinarily difficult to overcome like pre-existing types of social segregation that still dominate every single city. I mean, look at Los Angeles. It's like the built environment is basically just creates and models all of the types of social segregation that we navigate, whether that's based on class, race, ability, profession. So what's really exciting about working with digital infrastructure where the commodities are like narratives, stories, social relations, is that it's possible to create, I think, channels that are still difficult to do, but it's slightly like more possible than it is in other spaces. And I, I even think about just like the position that we're in being a group of people who are building this platform who, you know, come from families and social backgrounds that have a lot of class privilege, whether that's cultural capital or financial capital, but then also like being queer and trans people who have, uh, who are like really embedded in organizing movements who are connected to people who are like leaders at the front lines of movements for racial and gender justice. Like I just like, sometimes it's hard for me not to see myself as like a, you know, we're all like points in these like social networks and we are connected to different worlds and like we can instrumentalize the world that we can bridge. And that's something I try to think about a lot that like capital isn't just like what you have in your bank account. It's also networked and it's who you're connected to. And digital infrastructure is actually a place where we can create new types of relationships. And if the channel is there, you actually can move money and you can move resources in a way that's really difficult in the material world, I guess. Well, your question was also about visibility. So we're trying to make visible these initiatives and well, there's like a bunch of things we're trying to make visible, but first of all, the enormity of this crisis of people who are incarcerated, especially trans and GNC people who are facing bail and can't make bail. So like there's making those stories visible and this crisis visible. And then there's the organizations that we're working with. And then there are individual stories that we're trying to tell. We've been kind of like considering different sort of like levels of visibility for the actual identities of people that are being bailed out because there might be some cases where people don't want their actual legal identities and names to be associated with the campaigns that we're running. And so we've talked about like different levels of like obfuscation, like design, design tactics, like blurs and like sort of like figuring out ways to like create empathy and tell stories that are actually like really rich and drive people to action to, in this case, give money without necessarily divulging like personal information or breaching like boundaries of privacy. So to me, when you talk about visibility, I was thinking about just that aspect of the project too. 
but also like mapping all these organizations and the people they serve, the regions they serve, and growing that map and that network too. Because like this is a project, the, the entire project is about scalability. And we think that the way that we're designing, we're going to be able to scale up really rapidly. And in order to do that, we have to like prove that what we're doing, we have to make visible the work that we're doing now. And I think it's also just important to note, obviously, as you were getting at, that visibility is a relative concept. So it's not that the prison industrial complex and the enormity of it and the enormity of its, of its violence is invisible. It's highly, highly visible to communities that are impacted by it. It's just that the effectiveness of white supremacy is such that to many white people with class privilege, it is invisible. Because of our positionality and our social histories, we are in a particular position to perhaps make more visible to communities that we grew up in, the enormity of the prison industrial complex, and to illuminate the idea that what's important is moving money to people who are most impacted by it and supporting leadership rather than participating in uh, legacies of like more, I would say, like paternalistic giving, wherein the understanding is that it's people with structural power who are supposed to make decisions about how to fix the problems of people who are most impacted by structural violence, which is a paradigm that we're really pushing against and have been taught to push against by activists and organizers and thinkers who have written about that. I mean, I think maybe you alluded to this a little bit, but I, in that context, I'd love to hear how, you know, as Support FM, you guys position yourself as the mediators of of these narratives, just how Support FM is trying to, how you approach composing these narratives from a position that's very far away from maybe your own to people who, yeah, have really very little understanding of, of that position. Well, a lot of it is just about creating a design system and creating a language system and working with the work that's already been done. There have been a lot of successes and some failures in these cases, and we're working with what we know. Like, we're not, in terms of the, like, the activism and the social work, we're not innovators. We're coming to the table and trying to figure out how we can best design the tools for this work that's already being done. So we've designed this project so that we actually don't have to make any decisions about the nature of fundraising and profiles and people that are being bailed out. And at this point, we don't really have that specific of a rubric for what sort of organizations we partner with other than their grassroots. And they either have a history of bailing people out or they're wanting to bail people out, bail trans and GNC people out. And the long-term hope also would be that we would be able to build something that was supportive enough to counteract of the forces to kind of de-incentivize bailing people out. Because as we got out in our talk, there's a lot of reasons that it's like not easy to bail friends or family, let alone strangers, out of jail and detention. Number one, it's expensive. Number two, it takes a lot of time. If you have a full-time job, you might not have, you know, the hours that it takes to go into the jailhouse, bring the cash, wait, front the cash, sign your name. There's a risk factor. We can basically understand it. Like the state has done everything in its power to make it as difficult as possible for people to bail uh, folks out of jail. We're trying to make that easier to do in the hopes that more and more informal collectives would be able to do that work and it wouldn't just be uh, organizations with funding that would have the capacity to do so. So along those lines, I'd recommend going to Support FM to check out their really great list of organizations that are doing fantastic work that they've compiled and also check out their work more broadly. 